0: Hi, I'm Issa Kwonga. And I'm Ryan Hunt. And we co-host Stadio, a football podcast, on the Ring of Podcast Network. Twice a week, Musa and I talk about the goings-on in men's and women's football around Europe, and sometimes around the world. We like to zoom in, we like to zoom out, we like to make some silly references. So, if you like soccer or football,
1: make sure you search for Stadio, a football podcast, on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Think we got it? Yep, that's good.
1: This episode is brought to you by State Farm. From your morning podcast to your fantasy team, we know you personalize your entire day. That's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with State Farm Personal Price Plan. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices may vary by state. Options selected by customer availability and eligibility may vary. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look
0: Welcome into the Ringer NFL Show. Guess who's scared to compete again? It is terminally. Jason Goff. Jason Goff. He literally hits me up this morning. He's like, yeah, man, I can't make it. Unexpected plans. This motherfucker. Like, this guy's just bailing on me. Absolutely bailing on me. I can't believe it. Holiday weekend, two days before Thanksgiving, unexpected. What came up? A little hungover, Jason Goff? I need to hear it.
1: He's terminally scared to compete.
0: It's tough. It's tough. But I do love when we do get to do... I do love when we do get to do the full show together, because it allows me to rip you know, rip into your brain a little bit on some of the teams at large, more than just the quarterbacks. We're still going to do some quarterback conversation at the end of the show. I don't know how much of it will be Zach Wilson, maybe all of it, maybe some Mike White, maybe some Joe Flacco, who knows who we're going to bring up. But I want to begin the intro with leveraging, I leverage a lot of 538's playoff predictions model in the latest Power Rankings file for the ringer.com. You can always check out my weekly Power Rankings if you go to the ringer.com. And right now, there are only 17 NFL teams. So 14 total go to the playoffs. 17 NFL teams with a better than 30% chance to make the postseason, according to Fry 38's miles. So it's tight. It's tight in terms of who we are going to expect playing in the postseason. In the top of my list, the first three teams, how I have it, is those three, I think, are the best chance to get a first round bye and have the easiest path to a Super Bowl. Those are the Philadelphia Eagles, Kansas City Chiefs, Buffalo Bills. What does the bye matter? What, you know, all should matter is team strength. Having the bye week is everything. Having the bye week improves your Super Bowl odds significantly. It's easier to win two games to get to the Super Bowl than it is to win three. So, Eagles, Bills, Chiefs, those are the three teams that I think have the best path to a bye, right? Bills are still in the race, even though the Chiefs are eight and two, Bill, um, and the Bills are seven and three. And then the four teams after that the Miami Dolphins at four, the Niners at five, the Ravens at six, and the Cowboys at seven. Those are the four teams that I think are most capable of knocking off those Super Bowl contenders without the first round by, because I don't think any of those four teams have an obvious path to it. I think everyone else, maybe there's some people who get into the playoffs and, and lose in the early rounds. I don't know. I think it's down to those seven teams. I think it's those yeah. seven teams that are going to win the Super Bowl this year. It's Eagles, Chiefs, Bills. Dolphins, Niners, Ravens, Cowboys. I'm leaving the Vikings out. I'm leaving the Titans out. I'm leaving Brady and the Bucks out. Seattle Seahawks, the G-Men, the Giants, the Bengals. I think it's those seven teams. Am I wrong to kind of have I, – I, I'm probably going to look stupid when a team like the Cincinnati Bengals a year ago you know, rises up the ranks, wins as a wild-card team, and gets to the Super Bowl. But I really do think it's down to those seven teams that are legitimately competing for Lombardi this year.
1: Uh, yeah, I agree with. I I agree that it's only a group of seven. I'm I might I might be willing to put the Bengals up a little higher. I think that's the one team that has a chance of embarrassing you. And I, I I I don't know. Like it's not based on anything we've seen this far. It's like really based on what you just said. Like last year they went on this run. I know they have that ceiling in them. Like for me, it comes down to which team can I actually like visualize winning the Super Bowl? And like, I don't have to visualize the Bengals getting close to that. We know they have those pieces. When Jamar Chase comes back, I think the defense is playing okay. Last week was a little suspect. I don't think it was like a real red flag for me. Uh, But the offense is coming on. That's the the one team. But every other team, like the Vikings, I'm just so glad that that game happened, how it happened, that we don't have to. acknowledge this talk anymore like we know you know what you what you saw over the first what was it 10 weeks like you knew this wasn't a playoff or a super bowl contender and i I think it just made it abundantly clear on sunday
0: i have been very reluctant to run any kinds of victory laps around not having the vikings ahead of the buffalo bills after they beat the buffalo bills i had multiple vikings fans upset with the write-up that i had and saying you know, the ball bounced their way in this one. They're not the better football team. They're not in this top tier of three teams. The Eagles, the Chiefs, the Bills. They're not there yet. They're not there yet. Middle of the pack in efficiency, both offensively and defensively. Kirk struggling both on early downs and in obvious passing situations. I think you're right to start to call out a little bit Kevin O'Connell. Because Kirk Cousins has always been Kirk Cousins. And you've said this before. The efficiency is down because the offense has changed significantly. And how much of that is you know, Kevin O'Connell? How much of that is Kirk? You'd have to go back in the tape and look at that a bit further. But, man... This Vikings team got absolutely trounced against the Cowboys. We're going to talk about them a little bit later, but it, it's it's it was it was uh, not not shocking to see them lose. They were opened as one and a half point dogs at home. That line closed at two, and I thought that this Cowboys team was going to go into Minnesota and beat them. But I did not predict an absolute blowout. They were leading thirty-seven to three, I think, with like seven minutes remaining in the third. Like they were absolutely blowing them out. They obviously finished the game winning. I had one more point on the Bengals. You brought them up and, or I brought them up as maybe not being a Super Bowl contender. Ben Solak and Sheil had this conversation on the Tuesday episode of this podcast, talking about the Chidobe Awuzie injury and how that may be Really difficult for them to overcome. As good as Lou Anarumo has been this year, really difficult for them to overcome as they go against better offenses in the postseason, right? Letting Pittsburgh and and Kitty Pickett and the Steelers beat up on you and your outside quarterbacks is one thing. When you get to the playoffs and go against the Bills and go against the Chiefs, these other teams that have better receiving talent, better quarterbacks, starting Cam Taylor Britt at right outside cornerback for 48 snaps is not going to get it done, right? Cam Britt and Eli Apple, Mike Hilton I really like as a slot defender, but man, those two outside cornerbacks Scream disaster! It's going to be harder and harder for as good as Lou Arumo has been to scheme out of you know those players not being like true one on one you know matchup winners.
1: No, that's definitely a concern. I, I just think the ceiling for the offense is a lot higher than it was last year. Even even last year there were problems that they don't have this year. Like I, the offensive line is still like an issue, I guess. But I, I just think it's better. The run game, they figured out ways to run the ball, at least. And I think that's a big key for this team. But we saw last year during the playoff run, it wasn't the offense that was carrying them. It was the defense. And I think this year you have a chance to kind of flip the script a little bit. Because the the defense has kind of been carrying the load for an offense that has been inconsistent. Like, there's been a lot of highs. Like, Sunday was another high. The, The Falcons game was a high. The Panthers game was a high. The Jets game was a high. Other than that, though, there have been a lot of lows too. So, but I think like as we go down the stretch, they're going to figure it out a little bit. But I I want to talk about the Cowboys because okay. I thought as much as us two specifically are going to use that game as an illustration of the Vikings not being what people thought they might have been. I think this really is an illustration of what the Cowboys not only could be, but I think what they will become. And I said this on a pod a couple. Uh, I think it was last week. When you watched them on film, when you watched after Dak Prescott came back, you could see that they were just like a little bit off. They were like a foot off, like a second off, and that the offense was going to explode eventually. And then we saw this this week, and I think it makes sense, like intuitively. Dak Prescott is a timing quarterback. He's a, a processor. He's an accurate quarterback. Like, and those things have to be maintained. Like, you can't just come off the bench come step onto the field and then throw with timing and accuracy with players that you haven't been practicing with for the, the past month. So I think it made sense that there were some growing pains, if you want to call them that. But now the way Dan Quinn has this defense playing, I don't think it's like a fluke. The way Dak is operating now with this offense, which I don't think is missing Amari Cooper as much as I, I thought it might be. It might this year. And then figuring out the right balance between Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard, I don't want to get into that discussion. I think they both have their strengths and weaknesses, and there's reasons why Ezekiel Elliott's on the field more often than people would like. But everything's coming together for this team. My question is, how is Mike McCarthy going to screw it up? Because that's always the question.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I I think so. In that game, Dallas Cowboys went 42-3. Dak Prescott had three passes falling complete with 22 of 25, for 276 and two touchdowns. Tony Pollard and Zeke both had 15 carries. Pollard had 80 yards. Zeke had 42. And then Pollard, obviously, another 100 plus yards in receiving. He had both of Dak's touchdowns in that game. And I think that I underrated the weapons that Dallas has in, you know, especially after week one. You know, once Cooper Rush came in, I think a lot of me forgot to even pay attention yeah. to Dallas Cowboys, kind of just like Same. called them out of it, right? They're done. The Dallas Cowboys are done. Dak's going to be gone for six weeks. Cooper Russians are going to be keep keep this thing together. Like awful against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I, I I think looking at now you have Tony Pollard, you obviously have Sequel Elliott, CeeDee Lamb. I, I think that, you know, Michael Gallup's back healthy. Dalton Schultz is one of the better tight ends in the NFL. Like this this weaponry for Dak is also a lot better than maybe I had thought they were after week one, when they got blown out by the, you know, Brady and the box and that defense that we thought was going to be a juggernaut this season. Now, when you see them hitting their stride, when you see the timing making sense and defensively, we haven't even talked about that side of the ball, you know, Micah Parsons on his way to a defensive player of the year campaign, Trayvon Diggs, I'll say it. He doesn't have as many picks this year, but he's playing a lot better. He's playing a, a lot, lot better, better this yeah. year than he was last year, not giving as many explosive plays. And I think the reason he doesn't have more picks is because he's playing better, right? He's not jumping on things. He's not giving up bigger plays. And, that was always the, I remember um, Deontay um, used to work for PFF, now works for the Athletic. He's a phenomenal uh, defensive mind. He went on an absolute tirade on Twitter talking about how Trayvon Diggs isn't that good and he's not having the season that you think he's having all those space last year. Even he is saying, man, Trayvon Diggs is balling out this year, playing a lot better. So when you have that on the back end, up front getting pressure, this Dallas Cowboys team is, is very complete, almost. Not as complete, but it's starting to play levels of complementary football that we were talking about with Philadelphia earlier in the season where the quarterback is hitting, you have the weapons, you have the offensive line, defensively it's you know, firing up. The NFC, man, between obviously the Eagles, the Cowboys, and the San Francisco 49ers, those are three talented, talented football teams. They're all winning in a lot of different ways. I think it's the most interesting part of the playoff picture right now. With the with the AFC, we know it's Bills and Chiefs. Could you say the Dolphins are flirting? Could you say the Ravens are flirting? Sure, but it's Dolphins, Chiefs. Those are the best quarterbacks in the NFL. With the NFC, Jimmy Garoppolo out here balling with the San Francisco 49ers. You have, obviously, Dak Prescott hitting his stride with the Dallas Cowboys, Minnesota Vikings falling off, and now um, the San Francisco 49ers, or no, um, you know, what is the 13th? Philadelphia Eagles, still obviously the top of the NFC. Where I want to go to next is my team of the week. One of them was the Dallas Cowboys. And I think we hit on them pretty hard. The other is the San Francisco 49ers. And I think watching the game last night against the Arizona Cardinals, what stands out to me so much is Kyle Shanahan might be the best coach in the NFL, might be the best coach in the NFL. And the biggest cheat code in football right now is having a coach like Kyle Shanahan or Shanahan light in a McDaniel that can maximize a very, very talented offense. Maximize and reach the ceilings of a very talented offense. Because how he's leveraging Elijah Mitchell, Kyle Buschek, Debo Samuel, George Kittle, Brand Ayuk is not easy to do. You could say, the, you could say that game planning offenses with a ton of talented players is easier. It's hard to manage touches for all of those guys and where you pick your spots in terms of getting the ball to are getting the ball to um george kittle especially with a limited quarterback in jimmy garoppolo you could say if you like him or not he's still a limited quarterback i don't know man i think kyle shanahan is is playing his way to maybe some coach of the year conversation with just how talented this offense is
1: yeah i i totally agree and it's not just that they have talent they have this like this unique collection of talent like debo samuel is not a a player that's easy to get the most out of and he's maximizing him or he has in the past I don't know if you could say that he is this year and then Christian McCaffrey I think he's it's going to take some time for them to really figure out how to maximize him. but you could see the like the start of that you could see the seeds being planted and then Elijah Mitchell Brandon Ayuk's having a, a nice breakout year I totally agree with you I think Kyle gets too much criticism because one because they've lost they lost the Super Bowl it was a it's very obvious that they they had a chance to win and it looks bad for Kyle. And then the the Atlanta situation was also a bad look for him. But I even go beyond like that, like the the choking stuff, like the the positional value and team building stuff. We like apply these these philosophies to Kyle Shanahan, whose offense I think is like different. Like it's it's hard to apply the same team building philosophy to say even the Buffalo Bills. Like, yes, that's a team that should like focus on getting receivers, focus on building up the offensive line, offensive tackles and like the positions that tend to matter across the league. But with Kyle Shanahan, his offense is different. Like the positions are different. The things, the pieces he needs to operate it like he wants to operate it are different. And I don't think they conform to your typical team building outlook. And I think he gets a lot of crap for that from that analytics people. And then he gets crap from the 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 more old school film people because he does like he stops running the ball in the super bowl or something i forget i forget why they're mad at him and i i think he gets a lot of this criticism and like there's like this there, there's like a subset on the internet that really thinks that jimmy g makes him like how many times do we see the the splits with and without jimmy g on the internet stop, every stop. time <laughs> And I just, I, I I don't know, just use your eyes. And I think that this team is going to come together. And I think, I still think they're in like the discovery phase of figuring out what they are on offense because of the injuries, because like Elijah M- uh, Mitchell was out, obviously McCaffrey wasn't on the team over the first two months. And by the time we hit December and Kyle has this figured out and D'Amico Ryan's has that defense playing and healthy. I think they're the best team in the NFC. And I know that's might be a shock to to people who are supporting the Eagles. They're, lost one game the 49ers have lost four but when you look at these teams on paper and how they match up in the coaching staffs i'm convinced that the 49ers are the better team it's not even like without a second thought they're the best team in the nfc right now
0: i think it's an interesting conversation i think you have to if you are ranking teams all you know put all if you're ranking nfc teams the eagles cowboys and niners are the three most competitive how you want to rank them i think some people would have the cowboys over the niners some people obviously would have the eagles up top with the fewest losses of any of those teams but when you look at how Philly has struggled of late with some injuries to Dallas Goddard and some others. Like It's interesting to see the margin of error erode or or, or get thinner for the Philadelphia Eagles as yeah. injuries stack up and Jalen Hurts isn't playing at the level he was to start the season, while margin for error for the Cowboys and for the Niners start to widen as they get hit their stride at the latter parts of the season out of Christian McCaffrey. And someone I don't think we bring up enough, who I really liked coming out of the draft, who I think fell for like off-field stuff or whatever, I don't even want to speak to that, Like Juwan Jennings. Coming out of Tennessee. Like, how he even leverages Juwan Jennings, who's like a tackle-breaking yak machine out of the University of Tennessee. And like Kyle Shanahan's like, yeah, that's the exact receiver I like in my offense. And he's even getting talent, you know, reps out of him. There are there are players on the San Francisco 49ers team that don't borderline don't see the field or aren't nearly as maximized as they are. And Shanahan's finding ways to get them on the field and have success with them. He traded for Christian McCaffrey and is still getting plus production out of Elijah Mitchell. That's hard to do. It is hard to do what Shanahan is doing in terms of getting all of these different players on the football field and having them, you know, productive every single week. And that doesn't even, you know, we talked about the Dallas Cowboys offense for a while and then brought to the defense. The San Francisco 49ers defense is legit. Nick Bosa is arguably the best, if not one of the best pass rushers in the NFL right now. On the back end, they're finding ways with new additions like Charverius Ward, Jimmy Ward, one of the better safeties. Like this defense is balling out. And I think a lot of people are tipping their cap to Denver and Evero, who what he's doing with the Broncos, the Patriots of the last three weeks have been insane. Uh, a lot of that's been playing Zach Wilson over the last four weeks, but still Patriots defense is playing at a high level. You have very, very complimentary football in San Francisco and a coach has been there. Now, has he been atop of it? Has he won the NFC championship? No. When you think about that experience with, with Shanahan being in the postseason and knowing how these games work, I don't know. I really like where San Francisco's hitting their stride.
1: Yeah. And I would say like about their defense, it's it's similar to the Cowboys defense where I don't think they do a lot of like complex things. And usually when we're like hyping up defensive coordinators, it's because they're doing something cool. Like they're doing like simulated pressures or like they have these like cool blitzes or these cool coverages, but these, both of those teams just line up and play. And I think that serves you well in the, in the postseason. I, I, I I really like Dallas's defense more than San Francisco's, even though I think San Francisco's is better over the long term, like over the course of a regular season, but Dallas, showing the ability to be able to man up on third down against even against a team like the Vikings with, with Jefferson I think that's the difference between them and the 49ers right now I, I think the 49ers have more talent and they're able to avoid bad offensive games more than the Cowboys that's why I trust them more but like if both teams bring their a game and you could throw the, the Eagles into this I think if all three teams play their best game I'm not so sure that the Cowboys don't win. And I think I would put the the 49ers like right below them, but I think that would be a close game. And then the Eagles for me, I I agree with you. I think the NFL is so much about timing, like when you're getting hot, like how you're building up to the playoffs. And I don't think that that's going so well for the Eagles, at least compared to the 49ers and the Cowboys. And I really think by January, one of those two teams is going to be clearly better than the, the Eagles.
0: We were having a little bit of a conversation uh, just texting back and forth before we started recording about kind of player confidence, team confidence, and how that, you know, the way we brought it up was because of Baker Mayfield, who, like, is playing, like, new levels of dog shit. Like, they're, he's, like, inventing new types. I don't even know. I, I don't know what type of dogs they are or whatever, but, like, it's an interesting blend. And he's he and Cooper Rush are the only two quarterbacks in the NFL with a negative EPA per dropback average when kept clean. When kept clean from pressure, this guy is a negative force on the offense. That is rare for a former number one overall pick and someone that was going to start for the Browns. Like he was the projected week one starter for the Browns before they made that trade for Deshaun Watson. Like there were expectations that he was a top 32 player. I don't even know if he's top 35 or to top 40. And so much of that, in my opinion, I don't think is that his talent has eroded and the injuries have stacked up in this offense and all that stuff. It's literally, he is doubting himself. And I think when you look at, when you compare that to teams and when they're hitting their stride when you start pointing fingers at this point of the season on what needs to get better, does Jalen Ertz need to improve? I saw Benjamin Solak talking about his decisions in the RPO game and when he's pulling, when he's giving, like you can't have that lack of confidence when you got the Cowboys and the Niners getting hot right at that time, playing confident, you know, not thinking on the field and all that stuff. So I do think confidence and that kind of, you know, how your brain's clicking is, is very, very important at this parts of the season, especially in a game of small sample sizes, right? In the NFL, you don't play seven game series. You play one, you play one game and you're out if you lose. And that to me, opens it up for more variance, objectively opens it up for more variance. And that's when you know, things like confidence, player confidence, and when you're getting hot, and momentum, and those types of things can seep in. All right, speaking of no confidence, I have no confidence. This is my biggest mover. Even though they didn't move far that down in my rankings, I, wanted to call, I just wanted to call them out as my biggest mover because I don't know where they go from here. It's the Arizona Cardinals. Steve Kahn, the general manager in Arizona, who's been there since the 90s, and Cliff Kingsbury, who was brought on as the head coach after coaching at Texas Tech in 2018, both signed. Contract extensions through 2027 this offseason. Kyler Murray famously signed a contract through the 2028 season that included a homework clause, the next included a homework clause. And now we don't know if he's playing Call of Duty, but he definitely will be in January, because this Cardinals team's not making the playoffs. For the fourth, you know, th- th- they're gonna finish the season without a playoff win for the fourth consecutive year under Kingsbury, under Kime. When, when does something change? Like, I, I, I tweeted out you know, last night after the Arizona Cardinals lost, in embarrassing fashion, by the way. I know Kyler Murray didn't play, but the defensive effort was awful. Like, this was embarrassing fashion for a primetime spot as against a division rival. Cliff Kingsbury's offense is an EPA per play since 2014. 20th this year, 11th, 14th, 14th. Those are his, you know, four years in the NFL. His last year in the Power Five at Texas Tech, 20th. 2017, 19th. In 2016, 2015, he was top six. And then 2014, 21st. Those two seasons he was top six. He had Patrick Mahomes at quarterback. This guy hasn't had an upper percentile offense since Patrick Mahomes was his quarterback. I don't, I don't know when you start, stop making excuses, because they're gonna be easy this year. DeAndre Hopkins, six-game suspension, Marquise Brown's been hurt, Kyler Murray's been hurt, the offensive line's been banged up. Shut up. There are teams in the NFL with more excuses. I'm tired of injury excuses. Every single team has injury excuses. The Giants have injury excuses. The Jets have injury ex- ex- excuses. They lost Reese Hall. They lost the of or Tucker. They have an injury at quarterback, at least from a fucking personality standpoint, guys, making people hate him in the locker room. You can't make injury excuses when you're in your fourth year with where they've, over the last four years, Kyman and Kingsbury, have gotten whatever they wanted. You want Andy Isabel in the second round? We'll give it to you. You know, you want, you want, Zayvon Collins, you want Isaiah Simmons? You want to go make a trade for Marquise Brown? You want to go add uh, Cody Ford along the offensive line? You want Kyler Murray? They'll give him everything. And when you are not going to the playoffs and not winning in the playoffs after four years, I think heads have to roll. I don't know. Where are you at? And,
1: and I would say that, yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think the the injury thing, it could be framed as like an unlucky thing. Like, yeah, I think if the Chargers made an injury excuse, it would make sense. They like lost their whole offensive lineup and they lost Joey Bosa. For the, the Cardinals... I think the injury thing just exposes their flawed team building. Like Steve, when you, when you sign old injured veterans, they tend to be old and injured going forward. They don't, they don't get healthier and younger. Uh, and then I think it also exposes the lack of depth. Like they lose DeAndre Hopkins in the, the whole offense falls apart last year because they, they don't have a receiver to put in that same position. It's bad drafting, bad use of resources in the off season. Like the only real positive move they've made over the last couple of years was like the DeAndre Hopkins trade, which is a, like a no brainer trade. Like anyone would make that.
0: That was, Bill, that was just Bill O'Brien getting into his back. <laughs> that was Bill right. O'Brien just dishing out freebie, free samples at Costco. <laughs> that hey, you want that doesn't Hopkins count. For a second.
1: <laughs> it's like Ryan Grigson, like hanging his hat on the Andrew Luck pick. Like, yeah, everyone would have made that pick. And Isaiah Simmons pick was one of the worst draft picks I've ever seen. And this is not hindsight. Like I was, you, you could not draft a player like that with no position who hasn't proven to be good at any position in football with a top 10 pick when they had like very obvious needs at that time, like the offensive line was bad. I think this was, this was like around the DeAndre Hopkins trade. I'm mixing the timeline up, but they needed another receiver too. They could have drafted like CD lamb, which would have changed that offense but it's just over and over again you look back at the draft history you look back at their free agent signings like even the hits are like yeah they're a hit but like did they really move the needle that much like the J.J. Watt signing was fine but he's been hurt and like it's been it's gone as expected like the A.J. Green signing worked for the first year but now he's like the worst receiver in football the the, these are the types of moves that time has been making and I, I I do think that it's a little unfair to put this all on cliff, like the dysfunction and the fact that they haven't won a playoff game. Because I I mean, there's been, it's been better than I think people expected. It just hasn't been good enough. And I do agree with that. And it's been four years. He's had this quarterback who was really like the ideal quarterback for this type of system. And it hasn't worked. And I think it's time to move on. And I think it's time to move on before you sour your fan base and maybe even your locker room around Kyler Murray. And I know like Kyler Murray isn't like a sure thing. But out of everyone in that locker room and everyone in that building, Kyler Murray is the only one with a chance to actually like, become something. And I think that the owner, uh, Bidwell, should focus on keeping Murray happy and keeping him in town because that's really the only thing they have to hang their hat on because it's like alienating him for Kyme and Kingsbury makes no
0: sense to me. It's the only pick Kyme has hit in the last five years. And he had to pick yeah. him at number one overall. It was the obvious selection. You go back to 2018, Josh Rosen, Christian Kirk has been good, second-round player, but he's not even playing for that team anymore. Mason Cole, Chase Edmonds, that's your first four-round picks. Kyler Murray, Byron Murphy, and Isabella Zach Allen. You have some players that are starting for this team, but none of them necessarily hits. First-rounders, Isaiah Simmons, Savin Collins, Trey McBride was their first pick this past year. Like, they aren't adding talent in any of the drafts that they've had. And I think that if anyone tells you Cliff Kingsbury doesn't have his hand in— some of the development or some of the personnel decisions, I think they'd be lying. I think Cliff has been a part of some of these conversations. Just looking at some of the behind-the-scenes camera stuff that you've seen when you know, Andy Isabella is selected in the second round and Cliff Kingsbury is banging the table like, this is the guy I want and all that stuff, and then it's not working out. Like I, I, in my opinion, have one question that if the owner cannot answer positively, I think you have to make a change. Does this offense, does this team look any better than it did when Cliff t- took over in 2018? I don't think so. Like from year one to year four, how much better are the Arizona Cardinals over the last four years? You compare Kyler Murray's rookie season to now, they're not that much improved and they don't have the playoff games to show for it. And they have fallen off at the back end of seasons and the offense has um, never been a a top flight offense in this league since uh, since Cliff's taken over. I don't think it's fair to put all the blame on Cliff, but something isn't working. So much that if you just run it all back next year, we're bringing back Cliff, we're bringing back, time we're going to make these same roster decisions we got kyler under center like what what is going to be different what is going to change if you uh, you know just continue to roll with the same guys unless you're making significant drastic trades to to go get other players
1: do you know what the biggest sign of incompetence is and i i don't really know like what the league rules are concerning like the in-season hard knocks but the fact that that the cardinals were like yeah let's let hbo cameras into this locker room this year is just a fantastically dumb
0: idea. <laughs> this is this is the final straw. Did you see the Twitter clip of Cliff Kingsbury pointing at a painting of a lion? And he said, Yeah, yeah I'm a Leo. So that's the symbolism there. What the fuck? You got, a, you, got a, you got a horoscope guy in there? Now make it like believe it. That is ridiculous. That is ridiculous. That's the sign. That's the sign. That's the straw that breaks Have you down seen with that. the uh, have
1: you did. seen Pop Star with Andy Sandberg? I don't think I have it's like a parody of like the Justin Bieber documentary, but like that, that felt like a scene straight out of there.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's i I'm a Leo. So that's kind of the symbolism there. That's not symbolism, Cliff. That's not, that's a picture of a lion and you have a weird star sign of a lion that you care about so much. All right. On to the, I don't know what I'm doing segment, which honestly should be the whole podcast, but here we are. Um, I want to talk about Philadelphia Eagles. I still have them at number one overall, but things have been shaky over the last two weeks. Hertz has been shaky. Uh, the offense overall hasn't had the same levels of success that you'd like to have. They lost to the Commanders, Taylor Heineken, the Commanders. Like, this is, you know, we talked a lot about other teams in the NFC getting hot, the, the San Francisco 49ers and the Dallas Cowboys specifically. The Eagles not getting hot at this point in the season, nearly losing to Jeff Saturday, Indianapolis Colts, which, like, <laughs> would be banana land. I do think that the Indianapolis Colts are objectively a lot better now that a bad quarterback isn't playing for them. And a good quarterback is like, I never thought Matt Ryan was a problem in Indianapolis. Right. And when they benched him, things got a lot worse. And I think it made, it painted a more negative picture than it, maybe, maybe that was Ursay's master plan all the time. You know, it was like, Hey, we're going to bench Matt Ryan and I know we're going to play terrible. And then I'm going to be able to fire Marcus Brady and, you know, um, Frank Reich, with, with, with evidence. Maybe this is, maybe Jim is you know, smarter than we think. Maybe he's, maybe he's master he's mastering some of these things out. But, um, the Colts, I think are a lot better than, uh, than the Jeff Saturday jokes. You know, I think especially with Matt Ryan back healthy, Jonathan Taylor back healthy, but still, Eagles nearly lose to them. Needed all of regulation to go get it. How concerned are you with the Eagles? I know you said you like the Cowboys over them. Do you like the Niners over them too? Like, should they be, how far down should they be on this list? Make this list for me. Should they be two, three, four out of the top five? in the
1: NFL or they've NFC in the NFL I yeah, I might put them out, the, out of the top 5 but I know like if I was doing power rankings this week I would have them higher than the Cowboys and the 49ers yes, I'm like projecting yes. to December in December I would have the 49ers <laughs> and and Cowboys higher but uh, I'm not like any more concerned than I was a month ago it's like the same things that you could see on on tape when you were watching them that didn't necessarily show up in the box score because there were things hiding there were like amazing catches by the receivers hiding inconsistent ball placement by uh, Jalen Hurts. There was uh, defenses that hadn't quite picked up on what how the Eagles were running their offense, which I, I think didn't expose the fact that there is, there is a limited drop-back passing game and limited options in the dropback passing game when they get put in those situations, which they weren't really being put in early on in the season. I, and then the run defense has always been hit or miss. And then, like, obviously Jordan Davis getting hurt. Changes that now they're signing uh, Sue. I think that tells you how they feel about the run defense. Like that's a desperation signing at this point in the season. Sue and Linval. Yeah. And Linval Joseph's like the (laughs) throwbacks from 2015. And honestly, like I know Eagles fans are pushing back against the notion that like Jalen Hurts isn't an MVP candidate or that there's flaws with this team and they're not the best team in the NFC. But like the coaching staff in the front office is telling you all you need to know. Like watch them call plays for Jalen Hurts. Do they call plays like they have an MVP at quarterback? No, not, not whatsoever, not whatsoever. And you could make the argument that they're leaning into the the strengths of their roster. Like they're leaning on the run game because their offensive line is so good. But when the situation calls for you guys to switch up your strategy and you're still not doing it, I think that gives the game away. He's, he's just not an MVP candidate. He's playing really well. He's maximizing his ability and they're maximizing his ability and he's not wasting the supporting cast by any means. But until he develops into an an actual top 10 quarterback, like an elite top 10, or not an elite, but a franchise quarterback. I think there's always going to be these questions because the game script has to stay in their favor in order for them to play the way that they want to. I was going to say, and in order to avoid the the situations they don't want to play it and and call the plays that they don't want to call.
0: Something that I do think is positive for Eagles fans when evaluating Jalen Hurts and... I think oftentimes when you have the conversation that, oh man, that this team is a little bit limited because of their quarterback. That's when fans get their fucking boxing gloves out. They get the sword out. Like, whoa, Zach Wilson's good. Jalen Hurts is good. Kirk Cousins is good. (laughs) A lot of fans will come in and say, don't you say that. Don't you do that to my team. But, I think the good or positive about bringing it up with Jalen Hurt specifically in this Eagles team is that I don't think it's built on a house of cards the same way that the Jets were in that Zach yeah. Wilson could throw three picks and lose you a game, just like he did against the pass and just like he almost did again against the pass but they dropped some of those <laughs> interceptions. Kirk Cousins can just flat out lose you a game and not play at the level that you need him to, like he did against the Eagles in prime time, and like he did in some ways against the Dallas Cowboys. Now, a lot of that was defensively getting blown out as well, but still. Jalen Hurts, in my opinion, is not that kind of quarterback in that he's built on house cards and he can just lose you games. I think that the problem is is when you are going against a Cowboys team or a San Francisco 49ers team that is going to be toe-to-toe with you in terms of talent level on both sides of the ball, that's when Hurts needs to elevate into that franchise tier. And is he there yet? Maybe not. Are they calling plays to get him there? Not necessarily. They're leaning into the strengths of the offense, running the ball a lot more, trying to get the ball out quickly, all that stuff. That, I think, is the conversation with Philadelphia Eagles and Jalen Hurts. It's not that. Eagles aren't a playoff contender because Jalen Hurts isn't good enough and he can, like, lose them games. It's The Eagles are a deep postseason contender, but if they want to beat head-to-head Cowboys, yes. beat head-to-head San Francisco 49ers in late January, in early Feb, Hurts needs to play better than he's playing right now. And I think every Eagles fan should back that. Like, he does he does need to play better than he's playing right now for this Eagles team to reach their maximum potential. Yeah, the
1: bar is higher. Like, and I think that's the case when we an- analyze these teams. Like, I, I might sound more optimistic when I'm talking about a team like... I don't know, the Browns have played better than I thought they would.
0: Jacoby brissett has been a baller. Jacoby brissett has been a baller. No one's talking about Brissett.
1: I love watching Jacoby. But if, I, if you hear me talking about Jacoby Brissett, you would think like, oh, he thinks he's better than Jalen Hurts. He thinks the Browns are better than the Eagles. But no, it's just that the bar is higher when you're a Super Bowl team. And I'm analyzing this team through that lens. Like how do they match up with the other Super Bowl contenders? And for me, there are very obvious holes that they have. And then, and maybe they figure them out over the next two months. I just don't see it. And I don't know if Jalen Hurts is there yet. I'm not saying he can't, cause I think he's, he's his arrow is pointing up and it's been pointing up like since his last year at Alabama, he's gotten better every year. And you can see the progress. We're just getting a, lot, a, a little bit out ahead of ourselves right now with the talk.
0: Compare the limitations you see from Garoppolo and Hurts, right? I think Hurts is ahead of Garoppolo in your quarterback rankings. But compare those limitations, right? Because we're talking about two NFC powerhouses, two, two teams that should be playing for an NFC championship, if not trying to get to the Super Bowl this year, with quarterbacks that I think are limited, that, are, that do have limitations that aren't in the tier of a Patrick Mahomes, a Josh Allen, or even playing at the level of some of the other, like a Joe Burrow, for example.
1: Well, I, I think the situation is the same where they want to be in a certain game script and that's what they need to thrive. The difference between the two and why I think Hertz is way more valuable is he creates those game scripts on his own because he's such a force in the run yeah. game. So like that's the difference between those two. And then I would also point out that Hertz won't lose you a game, like you said. Jimmy G has that disaster artist thing in him where at any moment he could just lose a game. And Jalen Hurts, to his credit, is not that type of player. He's not going to make egregious mistakes. He's not, he's not going to, he's going to avoid those plays. And he has a plan B for when things break down. Whereas Jimmy G's plan B, although I will say that over the last couple of weeks, like Jimmy G has shown more of like a playmaking instinct, something that we haven't seen. Yeah, that could be it. And then, but Jalen hurts always has that. And I don't think it's like a thing that comes or goes. And then that makes a huge difference when, when things break down and like the play call doesn't go as well. Like that's the, that's when you see the Jimmy G that, People like me criticize. That's when you see him come out.
0: You're telling me Jalen Hurts doesn't like throw into the chest of the cover one robber as often as Jimmy Garoppolo does. His favorite throw. <laughs> your opinion of the nickname Hemi Garoppolo or Hemi Guap? I, I I mentioned it earlier. You didn't really say anything. I wasn't sure yeah. if you were there yet.
1: No, that was on purpose. I'm I'm going okay. to continue to ignore it.
0: <laughs> Perfect. All right, uh, a couple more teams, and I don't know what I'm doing. Then I want to talk some quarterbacks, some game of the week, and all that stuff. Get more out of your holiday week with FanDuel because new customers get $125 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. My favorite bets this year on Thanksgiving. Always love betting Thanksgiving game. You got to bet on the Lions as a home dog on Thanksgiving. Plus nine and a half. Give me that. Cowboys at home favored by nine and a half. I might take the Giants there. Patriots, Vikings, going to be an absolute fireworks show. Vikings coming off a blowout loss against the Dallas Cowboys and the Patriots need every win they can get to secure a playoff spot after beating up on the New York Jets. I might take Patriots as a straight dog there at plus 126 on FanDuel. FanDuel is also now live in Maryland. Get in on the action now with great offers, boosts, and more. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you bet an NFL same-game parlay from now through November 28th, all customers get $100 in free bets, win or lose. Best of all, you get paid your winnings instantly. So don't miss your chance to get $120 in free bets, win or lose, when you join FanDuel with promo code RINGERNFL. That's R-I-N-G-E-R-N-F-L. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 years or older in select states, first online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required, bonus issued as non-withdrawable free bets that expire within 14 days after receipt, restrictions apply, see terms at sportsbook.fandle.com, gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fandle.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, or Virginia, 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 533-4255 one 789 7777 or visit ccpg.org chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, Tennessee, Redline, TN, Redline at 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming, or visit www.1800gambler in West Virginia. Oh, hold up. Smell test. Go ahead. Sniff those pits. Now, your bits, feet, toes, come on, (sighs) could be fresher, right? It's all good. Old Spice Total Body Deodorant Spray is gentle enough to use all over your body, giving you 24-7 lasting freshness with daily use, from pits to toes and down below. So every smell test gets a... (sighs) (sighs) Shop for Old Spice Total Body Deodorant. Miami Dolphins and Baltimore Ravens. I put the Dolphins ahead of the Ravens, I think for the first time in a while, in my Power rings file. I have the Dolphins at four, behind the Eagles, Bills, and Chiefs, and I have the Ravens at six, obviously behind the Dolphins, and then the Niners at five, and then the Ravens at six. I, my opinion is, as good as Lamar Jackson is, and I wrote in my write-up, it, 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 the, the lead was, we do not talk enough about how bad the Ravens supporting cast is. Demarcus Robinson and Kenyon Drake led the team in re- receiving and rushing last week or, or this week against Carolina. Both those players were cut by the Raiders this year. Like They were cut by one of the worst teams in the NFL. And now they're in Baltimore having success with Lamar Jackson. That, in my opinion, is a problem. Like It's, it's very difficult for Lamar Jackson, the Baltimore Ravens, to have consistent success with just the bereft of talent this offense has. And defensively, They have played a lot better, but I still worry that it's a very hyper-aggressive defense that can get exposed for big plays when something doesn't go their way, right? I don't don't feel it's a safe defense on the back end as much as it is an aggressive defense that forces you out of what you want to do. Um, I have the Ravens behind the Dolphins. I think the Dolphins have more margin for error. I think Mike McDaniel is obviously a better offensive play caller and is playing with more. He has more chips. He's got more toys in the box. Greg Roman doesn't have shit for toys. Like Obviously, I've given Greg Roman a a lot of flack for just the lack of creativity in the drop back offense and, and how much we've been saying the same thing year after year after year, you know, Greg Roman, can he actually develop an offense that caters to Lamar Jackson's strengths in the past? We haven't seen it, but can you really blame him at this point? He's kind of dealing with some Lombardi stuff and that this receiving court is objectively horrid, horrid without Mar- Marquise Brown now playing in Arizona. That's
1: the the reap what you sow. Like when you ask for tight ends and fullbacks to be, so you can run your run game, you it's it's not the front True. office problem. You True. don't have receivers. Like they he asked them to invest in those parts of the offense. And this is what we're getting. And I know I, I'm with you that the Dolphins have surpassed the Ravens for me. Like maybe a month ago when the Ravens were a little more healthy and Rashad Babin was playing, I would have had the Ravens ahead of him. But now there's just too much pressure on Lamar. And the more yeah. that the, the stronger Lamar's MVP argument gets, the worse it is for the Ravens, it seems. Because like now the argument is like he has nothing and he's still winning games he's still producing relatively well and i think if you watch these last two games against the saints and the ravens like just watching them not looking at the box score i was like this is the best version of lamar i've ever seen and then they scored 13 points against the panthers like it doesn't make any sense until you you think about like how flawed this roster is around him and i agree with you on the offense i think the defense is a little better I do think they're not blowing coverages as much. And that was the problem early on was they were just blowing coverages against the Miami Dolphins. Like that's the reason they lost the game.
0: Yeah, they also had a lot of injuries in the secondary that game.
1: Yeah, yeah, that that too. But it's it's not a good enough defense to like make up for what they are on offense because they're not going to have three straight hot games on offense in the playoffs. Like they're going to have a stinker. And if that stinker comes against the Chiefs, the Bills, even the Bengals or the Dolphins, like these high powered offenses, it's it's season over.
0: The the Dolphins, I will say, I think the the Achilles heel for them potentially is the defense. The defense is not played well over the course of the season. 23rd in points allowed per game, 26th in defensive success rate. They blitz a lot in Josh Boyer's defense, but ranked 29th in pressure rate when they blitz. They run a lot of man coverage in Josh Boyer's defense, but ranked 25th in yards per attempt allowed when they run man coverage. Like The tenets of this defense, they don't have the dogs to do it. right. They're not creating pressure when they blitz. They're not limiting passes when they play man coverage. and some of that I think is personnel, right? I think cornerbacks after Xavier and Howard are having the success that you want them to. And they made the trade for Bradley Chubb to try and elevate how much they can create pressure up front. and It's not working, right? It's not working right out of the gate. I think it'll take time before Chubb and the pass rush start to have success. I think the best pass rusher on that team is actually Jalen Phillips. Jalen Phillips has been a baller this year for Miami. I don't think he has the sack numbers to necessarily warrant the national praise, but he's been really good in terms of pass rush win rate by ESPN and PFF. And the other pass rusher that's balling out is Christian Wilkins. Christian Wilkins, I think, is one of the more underrated defensive tackles in the NFL. He has been phenomenal rushing the passer for the Miami Dolphins. So having those two guys, now adding Bradley Chubb, you have to hope the pressure starts to come so they don't have to blitz as often as they do. We're not seeing it yet, and the Dolphins are giving up points, a lot of points, because of it. I worry about that going into the postseason. Now, it's it's awesome that Mike McDaniel, Tua Tagovailoa, Jalen Waddle, all those guys have an offense that's geared for a shootout every single week. And that's obviously going to keep them alive against the bills and chiefs, but defensively, you'd like to see them not be as paper thin or as soft uh, specifically with explosive plays.
1: Yeah. I, I would make the argument about the dolphins defense that you made about the Ravens. I think they're very yeah. unsound. And I do wonder like how much of that is dictated by Mike McDaniel being like, let's get in a track me. Let's do it. Do, does any team want to play us and attract me? Cause you guys are, go, are going to get run off the field. And, And maybe it's like a basketball thing where teams like to play fast and that's what they want to do. They want to create these like highly volatile situations like either you're scoring or we're scoring on defense. Either we're getting a turnover or you're scoring a touchdown because we know we're going to get the ball back and just march down the field and score anyway. I, I, I don't think that's it's all that. But I think there's like a bit of it where like McDaniel accepts the unsound defense because that this team is built to play like that. But I agree with you. That's going to be a problem against like a Patrick Mahomes. It will work against the Jets. It's not going to work against Patrick Mahomes or even Josh Allen. I know they beat Josh Allen, but they were missing like their entire secondary. And it was a weird game that the Bills really dominated in terms of time of possession. That's not going to happen again. They do have to get more sound on defense. That's the biggest issue with this team. And then what happens when they play a good team? That's or what happens when defenses adjust because we haven't seen defenses adjust yet. And I know people want to like talk about Tua and how the, he's not a product of the system, but I don't know how you look at his passing map and then look at Jimmy G's passing map and not make a connection because it's the same exact thing. Like literally all you have to do is go into Photoshop, hit control T, that's the transform button, and then stretch it out a little bit. And it's the same exact thing. It's the same question with him. What's going to happen when a team is able to get pressure on him? like pressure in the pocket, make the pocket tight, make you go through your progressions. Then when you're not getting the ball out in, in 1.5 seconds, that's always going to be the question with him. I'm not trying to take away from him. He's a, he's been good. He's been a top. I would say he's been a top 10 quarterback in terms of performance, but there are still question marks about him in the dropback passing game that I think we are going to get answered in January.
0: I'm going to, I'm going to put that hat on again and ask you a question. Compare the limitations between Jimmy Garoppolo and Tua Tungabailoa, who are obviously playing in two high-powered Shanahan offenses. Number one in EPA per dropback this year, EPA per pass play, is Tua Tagovailoa. Number four is Jimmy Garoppolo, guys that are dramatically, dramatically benefiting from really fucking good offensive play callers and a really talented supporting cast. Tua has Jalen Waddle, Tyreek Hill, and some really talented running backs. San Francisco has George Kittle, Thibaut Samuel, Pranayuk, and some really talented running backs, both in offenses that Solak and you have both made the, the comment that, McDaniel is just running the Shanahan offense a little bit deeper, specifically in the passing game. I think the run concepts are a little bit different, but in the passing game, running those concepts deeper because he has faster players, but it is a carbon copy. And both those quarterbacks are benefiting from it. What w- what are the differences and limitations? I think one would be experience, right? I think Tua is still like learning on the fly and-, and growing as a player in terms of what he's seeing. I think the other, for me, would be Tua, the release is-, is quicker and he's more confident right now throwing the football on one and a half seconds than maybe Jimmy Garoppolo is at times. But where are you at in terms of limitations or the, the comparisons?
1: I think Tua is more accurate and I think he's a better processor. Like, I think he's better at, I think Jimmy throws those throws over the middle, like blindly sometimes, which is why he <laughs> throws those interceptions to the cover, one, the robber and cover one. I think Tua actually knows like where the windows are and what he's throwing into. I don't think he's throwing br- blindly. I would say Jimmy has better arm talent. Like Jimmy, I think can fit the ball into tighter windows. He doesn't need to anticipate as much as Tua does. He doesn't need to be as accurate as Tua does. And then the other thing, I think they have a similar weakness in that when things break down, that's when their decision-making starts to go. Like Tua does not throw the ball away. He throws the ball downfield. And sometimes he throws the ball to a defender and whether it gets caught or not is beside the point. The fact is that like when you put him under pressure, he panics a little bit. And that's the same with Jimmy G. We see him make bad mistakes under pressure. And I think both coaches, when those quarterbacks have been playing well, both coaches have been able to avoid those mistakes by keeping the pocket wide open, by keeping the throwing windows open, by avoiding them having to make decisions under duress. And until we see Jimmy do that, or not Jimmy, would do that, I think we can't really like draw any firm conclusions on what he is. We've seen Jimmy do that. And that's why we're so low on Jimmy G because we've seen him mess up on a big stage. We've seen him mess up under pressure. But like, if you go back to 2017, everything that people were saying about Jimmy G, they were saying about is they're the same things that people are saying about Tua right now. He was making the same throws, the same tight window throws. And everyone's like, oh, he's Tom Brady. He's, he's, he's the next Tom Brady. He's cool under pressure, which is so funny to say about Jimmy Garoppolo in hindsight five years later. Jimmy Garoppolo was cool under pressure was the take in 2017.
0: Why can't, why can't fans, and maybe I'm being an idiot because I, I have a lot of conversations on this podcast and other podcasts about fanaticism and just being a fanatic of the NFL and being the, a fanatic of a team. But why can't fans parse out the success of their team with the success of their quarterback? I don't know. I, I think it's the, it's, the, it's the sharpest conversation or it's where, it's, where, it's where discourse gets the most violent is when a team is playing well, but there are doubts around... The talent level or the sustainability of the quarterback being that guy. And, you know, it's the same conversations we had Jimmy Garoppolo before. I think San Francisco 49ers fans kind of accepted it, right? 49ers fans I think, accepted Jimmy for what he was when the Niners made that big trade for Trey Lance and kind of shifted their praise to Trey Lance being the future. And every single training camp video where he threw up like 80 yards down the field, they're like, oh my God, he's the future. He's him. He's all that stuff. With Dolphins, Vikings, other fans, I think it just takes a long time. It takes a long time, especially if their team is winning. And you got Ws. Uh, it takes a long time for them to kind of like parse out kind of the success and, and, and differ the success. Speaking of quarterbacks, oh, go
1: ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, I, I I just think that like it's it's on us as the media. Well, all we do is talk about quarterbacks. We talk about how important it, it is. And when a team's winning, like that's an easy connection to make. I don't really put it on them like they're not. They they don't have the job I have. It's my job to like grind film and like learn how football works and like do all this stuff. So I can recognize that they're not doing that. They're enjoying the game in a different way. I don't blame that, blame them for that. It's just, I'm still going to call you a a, a stupid on Twitter. If you tell me that two is better than Justin Herbert, because it doesn't make sense.
0: (laughs) That's fair. Game of the week. Goff's not here, obviously to pick the games of the week. So I picked them both. I think the two biggest games this week must watch TV. Patriots at Vikings. Patriots, I think, are two-and-a-half-point dog going to Minnesota. Bill Belichick going against Kirk Cousins in the offense. I am excited to see that matchup. And then the other game that I think is going to be a fireworks show is the Bengals at Tennessee. Firework show, maybe not in points, but fireworks show in terms of how good the game will be. Bengals are two-and-a-half-point favorites on the road over Tennessee. I think that line opened at one-and-a-half. Bengals getting some points to two-and-a-half. Third game I want to bring up, And then you you pick which one you like. It's Bears at Jets. Justin Fields versus Joe Flacco. I don't know. We don't know who the quarterback's going to be, but we haven't had an opportunity to talk about it on this podcast about the comments from Zach Wilson and all that stuff. I want to get my takeout. Zach Wilson played like shit. And I think the best comparison of how the locker room is being affected by the comments that he made or the comment where he just said, no, he doesn't feel like he let the defense down. I think in the locker room, he wore a shirt that says, I'm not the problem, some dumb shit like that. But when Josh Allen played like shit, he literally said, it's hard to win games when you play like shit. When Zach, Zach Wilson literally completed like nine passes and the offense didn't cross the 35-yard line in the second half and the defense held him to three points and he asked if the defense let him down. He said, no. That, and I, I don't know if you're a Stephen A. Smith fan. I'm a big Stephen A. Smith fan. I think that he does what he's supposed to do so well in terms of get excited, get passionate about random shit. His rant on Zach Wilson where he's just calling him a boy and he's trash is absolutely sensational. And that is what happens, right? And the players see that. Everyone sees that Kyle Brandt, when Russell Wilson was getting called corny, one of the like nicest guys in the media was calling Russell Wilson like a corny, like fake, phony loser. This week, calling Zach Wilson just like a boy and childish and immature. Like the the locker room sees that. The players see that. When you talk to Garrett Wilson, when you talk to the other players who are like, man, that's kind of fuck that he said that. That does not help things. That does not help the locker room, and it's why Robert Sala is considering making a change at quarterback. It's it's part of it is the accountability and. So many people, Steve Palzola at PFF, when you know, he, he was on the PFF podcast and he talked you know, about that quote, he's like, I don't care about the quote, it doesn't matter. It matters. These are people. These are human beings playing this game. And when Zach Wilson comes in and just doesn't take any accountability and he's a young quarterback that's not playing well, it's hard to sell your locker room on this guy. When, of any sport, you need to rally around him. Like, you need to rally around the quarterback. You have to have faith in the quarterback. You compare it to... Bengals fans and or bangles teammates with joe burrow where they're like yeah we know we can win games because we got J- joe burrow even look at george kittle and other players with jimmy garoppolo and how much they want to throw support at him with how much he's winning games that matters that matters in a small sample size game that matters you're not playing like i said you're not playing seven game series where the best talent usually wins you are playing small sample size games where relationships and locker room all that stuff matters and i think for zach wilson to do that end of an era in new york man They're four and a half point favorites over the Bears. And I don't know. I don't know. It depends who plays at quarterback. If Zach Wilson's playing, I don't think it's going to look pretty.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I get the argument that the comments don't matter. I I do think like Zach Wilson isn't going to be bad because he made that comment. But the fact that he made that comment kind of explains why he is bad. Like if you can, if you played that game and you don't come away with the feeling that you were the problem, I don't know how you get better. Like, I don't know how you watch that film and go, I like, I need to get better. I need to do, do better. Yeah. I, 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 he's just not a good player. I don't think the conversation is that, that difficult. He, he's never shown the ability to be a starting NFL quarterback. We haven't seen it once. Like, even his, his best stretch, which was in December last year, which Jets fans were screaming about all offseason, was not that good. Like, when you turn on the film, it was not that good. The, the difference was that the defense dropped a lot of interceptions that they were catching early on in the year. And, he just—he's a small player. He can't create in structure. He's afraid of the pocket. I—I I thought his arm strength was a little overrated coming out of college. Like I knew he could do the trick shots and like the side arm passes, and it was very flexible and capable of doing things. But I—I I didn't think he was like very powerful.
0: He had a hose. It wasn't,
1: yeah, he wasn't like throwing dot, like tight window digs over the middle. Was, but he was throwing like the perimeter deep balls, which like impressive, but doesn't really apply to the NFL. Like how often are we seeing quarterbacks throw nine balls? Like Joe Burrow made a, an offense out of it last year, but that was like, that's why it was such a big deal. It's like, oh, we never He's making seen an
0: offense out of it now. Back shoulder yeah. throws.
1: <laughs> but no one does that. And I, I don't know. I think that the conversation surrounding him, like the personality stuff is a, a major red flag and should have been a red flag for the Jets. I, I don't know how they overlooked it because it was out there. Like anybody paying attention to that draft cycle, that, that, that was out there. But I, I really think this is just a bad evaluation of a player beyond the personality things this is this was i could have said when they drafted him this was a bad decision i i players like that don't get drafted in the first round players that look like him do not get drafted in the first round the biggest strongest fastest players are what win you games in the nfl and he was not one of those
0: a few things there one you're right you're right to have this conversation around the take that what well, he said in the press conference—it doesn't it necessarily matter. Or like personality, may be a bit overage. You don't have to like think about the. But when you have, my opinion is, is when you have to improve, when you have to take coaching, or you have to win back a locker room, or you have to you earn the respect of your teammates, your personality fucking matters. You 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 how you approach no, yeah. improvement, how you approach getting better matters. And when I when I was at PFF, I there was an off season where I did eighty six interviews with different prospects, talking to different guys, and and, and trying to get an understanding of like what all these people are. My biggest takeaway every time I was trying to figure out like, how how interested is this person in like being humble and getting better, right? I think it's a big sign. It's a big sign of like awareness, right? It's awareness. Zach Wilson saying no right there is yeah. zero awareness. That is not awareness. Uh, read the room. Know what you're saying. Think about what you're saying. You're going to say no to a comment that everyone is going to make big. That's not having the awareness of the situation. When Josh Allen says, You can't win games when you play like shit. Does he actually think he's a piece of shit? Does he actually think he's the worst quarterback ever? No. He's saying that because it shows respect to the defense and it shows respect to others. And he is obviously aware of the situation. That lack of awareness and that lack of humility and all that stuff doesn't show up necessarily when you're already super talented or you're already Bill Belichick or you're already Tom Brady. You could be an asshole all day long if you're that talented. But when you aren't that talented or you are warning that things back, I think that shows up.
1: It at least buys you time, I would say, too. Exactly. Like, exactly. like Josh Allen like endeared himself to the locker room when he was, he was a bad player for the first year and a half, but he endeared himself to the locker room. So it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. If you're going to be bad, you can't be an asshole and bad.
0: Yes. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, <laughs> uh, that's uh, So I used to work with Bruce Gajkowski. Bruce Gikowski worked at PFF. He's a backup quarterback for a long time. He played for the Raiders. Had a phenomenal game. I think it was 08. Came back against Pittsburgh, in Pittsburgh. Deep shot to Louise Murphy. Phenomenal game. Was a Raiders fan as a kid. Bruce Gajkowski was a legend. He always said, as a backup quarterback, no one thing you have to do is be nice to the starter. <laughs> like, be nice, be a good guy in the locker room, be a good, you know, get the towels, do all that stuff. Cause that's how you last in the league is being nice and having that kind of just like approachability. And Zach Wilson doing what he did obviously doesn't have that. The other thing I'll say is, where did you have Zach Wilson pre draft? Cause he was a consensus top three quarterback in that class, top four. I know Chris Sims had him as the top quarterback in that class. A lot of people had him two behind Trevor Lawrence, some people had him three behind Lawrence and Fields. Were you doing draft stuff at the time? Did you have, yeah. you know, a, a, where, where, where was your head at? I had
1: him, uh, I ended up putting him ahead of Lance, but I had them on the same thing. It was the same thing for me. It's impossible to evaluate them for two different reasons. One, Lance hadn't played football in like a year and a half. And the last time we saw him play football, he was 19 years old. And then I just thought Wilson's 2020 film was useless. Like he was playing seven on seven. I don't know how else to put it. And then you look back at the 2019 film. He still kind of looked like the same player who just wasn't good. It was more like what we're seeing with the Jets. So I was very low on him. I, I was very surprised that he was the consensus number two pick and that it was like a no brainer decision. And there was no talk about like Justin Fields or, or Trey Lance being in that conversation. But yeah, I was I was pretty low on him. I was low on Mac Jones, too. So I'm patting myself on the back for those two.
0: I want to have more conversations when we get into draft time this year. I, I think you have obviously interesting takes on the quarterbacks, but even evaluating other players. I think what you were saying about Jamar Chase coming out I thought was interesting, about, but uh, that's a that's a different podcast. Um, lastly, but not leastly, this is normally where we bring up the quarterback conversation, but we've had a lot of co- quarterback conversation in the podcast. Are there any players that you want to throw some praise at? I know you're talking Jacoby Brissett earlier on the feed. I'm a big Brissett buyer. He was put. Let me go go off a little bit here. He was put in an impossible situation impossible situation in Cleveland. He knew he was going to get benched after this next week. He knew that he was not the starter. They made sure of that. Fucking Sean Watson's getting off for the key of the city in Atlanta, then comes to Cleveland. Like, it was a weird situation. He had that comment, I think, early in the in the offseason where it's easy to not be like Deshaun, and some people made it like that. It's like, this was a tough situation. Every single week, when you look at the body language, when you look at how he's approaching these games, he's putting it all out there, man. And I think you have to respect what Brissett has done as the starter for Cleveland, I know they're probably on the outs looking at the playoffs, even with Deshaun Watson coming back, if that is even an improvement. But man, I, I think he's going to be a backup in this league for a long time for showing what he did in Cleveland. And I think every team would be lucky to have a Brissett as a backup, given what we've seen this year. Maybe that's too much praise to the kid, but I think he's been the kid. He's probably older than me, but I, I, I think he's been awesome. <laughs> this year. I think he's been awesome.
1: And I, I think, look, as a fan he's the type of quarterback you want. He's not a coward. Like he's not like yes. one of these like bottom 10 quarterbacks who, who doesn't take chances downfield or doesn't like stick in the pocket. Like is, he's like a throwback, like 1970s, 1980s, just throwing it downfield. I don't care about my completion percentage. God, my see. yards per attempt are going to be super high. He, I, I really like him as a quarterback. I don't think he's like super good, but he, he no. like, he's, he rules, man. He rules. Uh, I want to talk about Russell Wilson, man. I checked in on Russell Wilson last night, watched the film. If you ever want to watch, like so many people this this offseason talk about like the Russell Wilson offense, like everything becomes the Russell Wilson offense. Deep yeah, yeah, balls, yeah. he ignores the middle of the field. Watch this game against the Raiders. It's the most extreme example that I've ever seen. And look at his passing map on next gen stats. There is one gray circle, which is an incomplete pass between the numbers over like five yards downfield. And that was the Hail Mary at the end of the game, or at the end of regulation, when he threw it off his back foot to the, a guy that wasn't even looking. He did not throw to the middle of the football field. Do you know how big that area of the field is? That's the whole field, basically. That's like 35 yards out of a 53 yard field, and he just ignores it. He is, he's a bottom five quarterback right now. He might be the worst quarterback in the NFL that's not like a young guy who's still trying to figure it out, like Zach Wilson or whatever. Like, in terms of veterans, he is unplayable. I don't know how you call an offense for him. I know everyone wants to make fun of Nate Hackney. He deserves all of it because he's a terrible game manager. But like in terms of like the offense and how it's working, there were so many guys running open over like the deep intermediate part of the field during this game, especially in the first half. I clipped like six clips. Can't post them on Twitter because the NFL is cracking down on all 22 because they don't know how social media works. But it's bad. It's one of the worst games I've ever seen.
0: And you can't throw over the middle of the field against a Las Vegas Raiders defense that might be one of the least talented in the NFL. I think Patrick Graham, even keeping this not from just being straight straight to the AFL or a- whatever the developmental league is, I think is impressive. Anyone, just a side comment on the Raiders. Anyone thinking that Patrick Graham is a scapegoat in this situation? I'm not saying he's been perfect, but like this defense might be one of the least talented in the NFL. Chandler Jones is not. Chandler Jones has not lived up to the billing. I don't even think most fans could name the starting outside cornerbacks of the Raiders. They just cut. One of their starters and Jonathan Avery, I'm like, yeah, we just got to cut him because like it, it's a bad situation for Las Vegas and for Russell Wilson to not have success against that defense. That is wholesale concerning, and I don't know the way out for Denver. Right, you are obviously committed, pot committed, to Russell Wilson moving forward, and he's playing like a bottom five quarterback right now. Every decision you make, new ownership group in Denver, has to be one that gets him out of the bottom five. That has to be bringing in coaches or whoever talent, whether that's receiving. Offensive line, defense, does Richard Sherman need to come back? I don't know. You're going to have to make some decisions to elevate Russell Wilson. It's not that dissimilar, in my opinion, to the Kyler Murray situation. I think Kyler Murray's, you know got more ceiling and we haven't seen all of it from him, but like you're tethered to him and you need to make an offense that works for him and elevates what his skill set is. Russell Wilson's the same way.
1: You want to hear the fucked up thing, though? Go. When I was watching that film, like it kind of looked like Seattle Russell Wilson. I wasn't like, oh, this guy's washed. It was just like he's, this is just the type of quarterback he is. Maybe they need to hire Pete Carroll bring in Brian Schottenheimer. Like I'm, I'm not joking about the Brian Schottenheimer thing. I think like Brian Schottenheimer bringing him in would make Russ like a top 15 quarterback. There is still talent there. He is not washed up. Like he, even in this Raiders game, there were like some nice moon balls to the perimeter, like dropped right over the shoulder, right into their hands. Like there were a, a, a number of them that were accurate that not all of them were caught, but he was throwing like the rust balls that we're used to seeing, it's just, like, they don't know how to coach around that like Pete Carroll did, and Pete Carroll got a lot of crit- criticism, but, like, looking back on it, I really think Pete, like, he he protected Russ from a lot of criticism early on Dude, in his career. He
0: he protected Russ from a lot, on and off the field. And Russell Wilson being, his off-the-field presence being as memeable as it is now compared to what it was in Seattle is just insane. Like, he's literally just, like, a laughing stock every single week for a different reason, a different pregame celebration, whatever the hell it may be. It's, it's, it's worrisome. The other quarterback in that game, and we'll close on this, Derek Carr, Devontae Adams were awesome in that one. It's exactly what you wanted this Raiders offense to look like is Devontae Adams getting a ton of targets and then winning football games because of it. Josh Jacobs, I think, has been insane in a contract year. I think he's been one of the more talented backs this year. They didn't even have Colt Miller in this game. And the offense looked good because Josh Jacobs, Devontae Adams, and Derek Carr were hitting defensively, it's a disaster. They are fortunate they are playing Russell Wilson missing him over the field. Max Crosby's the only blue chip player on that team, on that side of the ball. I've had a lot of conversation about what do the Raiders do? I think the, if Mark Davis was richer and, and, and more willing to admit his faults, he probably moves on from Ziegler and McDaniels and tries to start anew. But I think the best case scenario for the Raiders moving forward is to not blow it up. Don't trade Derek Carr. Don't move on from Devontae Adams. Don't move on from Josh Jacobs even. Resign him. Uh, analytics guy, scream and resign a running back. He's talented. Just do it. Get Daniel Waller back healthy. Get Hunter Renfro back healthy. Get Colt Miller back healthy. Improve this defense with the draft capital that you have and try and run this back with Josh McDaniels. Why? Why should you do that with McDaniels? Because if you're not willing to fire him, don't give him the keys to a rebuild because then more excuses flood in, right? If you give McDaniels and Ziegler the keys to blow it up, that's three-year commitment, right? It's like you trade, you trade Carr, you probably have to trade Adams. Like Adams and Carr, Adams didn't come to Vegas to not play with Carr. So you, you, you can't do it. You can't do it. You can't blow it up. Don't let McDaniels and Sequel blow this up. They came to Las Vegas to go get Adams and to win with the team that they have. They aren't, but they need to do that in year two, right? With more confidence in the offense, maybe from Carr, some improvements on both sides of the ball. I think that's the best way out for Las Vegas moving forward. It's an underwhelming concerning season to start. Maybe you're losing the locker room. You got people calling out effort concerns, all that stuff. But blowing it up and giving McDaniels and Ziegler the keys to a rookie quarterback like CJ Strider, Bryce Young, feels absurd to me. Because then you're not even sure if McDaniels is a good coach yet. And you're giving him maybe two, three years of excuses of, well, it was his first season. Oh, this receiver got hurt. You just don't want to play that game. Do it one more time with Derek Carr and Devontae Adams. And if it doesn't work, then you have this opportunity to move on.
1: I'm kind of surprised that they're that they're kind of surprised that it's not going as well. Like it's hard to look back at their recent draft history and expect this roster to be in a good spot. Like how, how much draft capital they wasted. Like even this isn't even like drafting busts. This is these were super busts. They've <laughs> wasted so many first round picks. It's impossible to build a talented roster capable of competing in that division, by the way, with without using that draft capital. And so I'm not surprised that this is a disaster
0: yet. Yeah. I will say this, they've wasted so many picks. Henry Ruggs, Damon Arnett, Cleeland Furl is not hit. They have not hit on picks. Jonathan Abram, Josh Jacobs is probably the best player they picked. Colt Miller the second. Or no, probably Colt Miller first. But still, they've wasted a lot of picks. And still, I'd argue, offensively at least, it's one of the more talented offenses. Carr, Adams, Renfro, Waller, Colt Miller, Jacobs. That the what offenses can even name that many players that are three and seven this year? Like, I mean, like, that that's insane. Like, they have talent offensively. Defensively is a different story. Max Crosby is, again, the only good player on that team on that side of the ball. They have not, with the draft picks with Cleo and all, Damon, Ar- Damon Arnett, Jonathan Abram, they have not hit there at all. They've been relying on castaways, and that's why the defense is like 30th in the league and points per game allowed. Offensively, this should have been a good offense and I think it has the talent to do so. I think there's been some friction with the new McDaniels offense, and they're losing a lot of one score games, losing on third down, and losing in the red zone where coaching has biggest impacts. I think that you run it back, see if the, see if McDaniels and Ziegler can actually build a top 10 offense, top eight offense, need paper play with the players that they have. And defensively, just pray, just pray that you're not burning the next few draft picks. <laughs> pray, yeah. pray that they don't get set on fire under the new regime. <laughs> Steve, this is fantastic. I think we went over time, but you know, it is it's the season. Want to end with something you're thankful for this year? I'm going home for the holidays for the first time in six years. I moved to L.A. with this new job. I'm finally not in Cincinnati, Ohio. I can finally see my family for the holidays. Anything you're thankful for to close us out?
1: I don't have to watch Carson Wentz play football for the rest of the year.
0: Huge. Thankful Huge. for that. Huge. that's the whole thing I, you made this comment on the podcast recently um Carson Wentz playing for like uh his his trade being like incentive laden or like it's this conditional second round pick if he plays 70 percent or whatever it's hilarious to think that it could just like be that moving forward like say he gets traded to Carolina for like a conditional fourth if he plays 50 percent of the snaps or or if he starts two games I, I would love to just have his career just like attached to like these minor <laughs> playing hey if he's on the team by February like I mean, all that stuff I think would be great but um well, this has been Austin Gale, Steven Ruiz on the Ringer Power Ranking Show. Uh, make sure you tune in the rest of the feed. The Island on Wednesdays with Noral Prinziati, S.H.I.E.L.D. Kapadia on Thursdays with Scramble and the Ringer Preview Show with Steve, yourself, Danny Heifetz, and Solak. Again, until next time, Austin Gale, Steve Ruiz the Power Ranking Show.